let's get a job. This week, we're talking architectural and interiors photography with... I am Kim Smith. I am an architectural photographer, and I'm just about going into my seventh year of doing this on my own. Do you think you could sum up the tweet version of what an architectural photographer is? We take pictures of buildings. (laughs) (laughs) So basically the clients would be builders or interior designers or developers, you know, anyone having to do with the built environment and wants to make their building look as beautiful as possible. In order to get into something like this, do you have to understand architecture or have a background in architecture or anything like that? You don't have to. I think it does help, though, to be able to speak their language and an architect's or a designer's language. Mm. And understanding it a little bit does somewhat inform the way that I shoot. So it is helpful. Can you explain that a little bit more, how it informs the way that you shoot? Yeah. Let's say you have a particular style uh, that's very maybe contemporary or modern, something that tends to be a little bit more geometric, a lot of Mm 90-degree angles. Something like that is going to be just beg for a one point perspective Mm -hmm. where you keep those lines at 90 degree angles rather Mm -hmm. than a two point perspective. Little things like that. Well, before we dig into specifics about the amazing photos that you take, can you tell me how did you become an architectural photographer? Long story. So my background is actually interior design. And I did work for an architect very briefly out of college and discovered I didn't like it very much. I wound up just being a CAD girl, Mm. you know, drawing floor patterns all day long was not what I wanted. And at the time, you know, I was from Buffalo, New York. The economy took another little dip and I was the newbie and in the interiors department and I got laid off and Mm -hmm. I was okay with that. I I wasn't liking it anyway. But then a friend of mine owns a cabinetry manufacturing company and they needed someone in-house to do their graphic design, design their literature, be their marketing coordinator and all that good stuff. So I started designing their brochures. So part of my job was to scout out the nice kitchens to have photographed Mm -hmm. and then hire photographers. Hmm. So I hired a lot of photographers and I learned the hard way. I have felt the bitter disappointment of spending money and then getting really, really bad results. And it was very frustrating. You know, I had been a hobbyist since I was little, but I also took a 101 photography course when I was in university. So I knew the basics of how to work a camera, having majored also in graphic design. I knew Photoshop. So I was able to kind of muddle my way through it well enough. And I asked my employers, could I take over the photography? Because with such a limited budget, there's no way we'll be able to afford the good photographers. Yeah. So could I do it myself? Can you guys just get me some basic gear? So I took it over. Was that a hard discussion to have with them? No. They they just like, okay, you're saving us money. Go for it. Yeah, pretty much. And I think I'm a pretty persuasive person. So, you know, they they were spending tens of thousands of dollars on printing brochures. Mm -hmm. It's silly to put a bad photograph in there. Yeah, yeah. I've always believed in the power of good presentation. So it has to be good. So I've always been able to tell the difference between a good photo and a bad one ever since I was the one hiring. So now I, I still know the difference, but now it's my responsibility to make a good photo. When you were hiring photographers and getting their shoddy results back, what were some of the things that you immediately were like, this is just not a good photo? Oh, man. Terrible color casts. You know, if, if you take a 
just one ambient shot of an interior space and you're not using strobes, mm-hmm. you have dynamic range issues. You have mm-hmm. color cast issues, not to mention the compositions were just awful. Here, Here's a case in point. You asked before, is it good to know a little bit about architecture and design? Yes, because the photographer that they made me use... Um, because he was cheap. He was $200 per kitchen. That's like ridiculously Ooh, yeah. low. And you get what you pay for. Right. The guy was a sports photographer. Mm. <laughs> what do you think <laughs> that picture is going to look like? You know, he's used to shooting fast action out in bright daylight. What do you think an interiors photographer is going to look like? It is just going to be dark and flat. It's going to be so bad. So yeah. yeah, dynamic range issues, composition, color casts, poor styling. It was just not good. Do you find that in those days when you were selecting these photographers at that price range that you were getting mostly mid-level photographers or or entry-level photographers who just said like, oh, I can shoot anything? Yeah. There's a lot of those out there. Jack of all trades, but masters of none. Mm. So I did learn the hard way. If you want really great interiors photography, you want to hire someone that specializes just in that because it really is, I think, probably the most difficult niche of photography. Why does it make it the most difficult genre? Um, I would think from an uninformed perspective that you have control of everything. Everything is still. Well, you know, to be fair, I've never tried to be a sports photographer, so I don't know how difficult it is. I can say on on one hand, you're right. There is a lot that is in your control in a space Mm -hmm. because it's not moving. Sure. And, And that aspect Yeah, it's easy. But there actually is a lot that's not in your control. Um, If you're like in a a small home, you can always flag the light, Mm -hmm. you can draw the blinds or close the curtains and you can control light that way. But let's say you're hired to shoot a huge commercial or civic space and light is just flooding in from everywhere and your raw shot is completely hazy because of Mm. all of that light coming in. You can't block that light. Or in a big space, sometimes the interior lights, you don't have control over them. Sometimes they're hardwired, right? Sometimes you can turn off all of them, but there's one stubborn light that's wired for safety reasons for code. It's always going to be a fluorescent light too. Yeah. Oh God, they're so horrible sometimes. (laughs) Fluorescents have come a long way. They are a lot more pleasing now in their hues. Mm Mm-hmm. But sometimes in a space, uh, homeowners or designers or whatever, they haven't been consistent about specifying the same hue in Mm. every fixture. Right. (laughs) So you still have some color inconsistencies that you have to solve. Or, um, you know, let's say you're outside and you're doing a dusk shot for, you know, an exterior and you got there too late. And now Mm. the ugly halogen lights have turned on and the color cast from those are just horrific. Also in public spaces, tons of people. Sometimes you're shooting when people have already moved in and now you're working around the public or it's a crappy day outside and the weather isn't cooperating. So in that size of a space, trying to control light, it's difficult. Well, before we dig even deeper into a technical rabbit hole, so you're taking over photography for the cabinetry business. Mm-hmm. What happens next? Well, between myself and another photographer that was local, he proposed the idea he could barter to get a kitchen. And I was able to tag along with him on some shoots. So then I was able to see how you do it the right way. <laughs> mm. And I was introduced to strobes, which were so intimidating because he used power packs. And he's like, I still, I'm still scared of him. He's like, <laughs> be careful. You can electrocute yourself. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not touching those things. <laughs> 
I still don't use them. But that really got it through my head that you absolutely need to know how to use supplemental light. That mm. is the key to making really good interiors photos. And if you don't, then you better be really, really good in post-production and have some other tricks up your sleeve. But typically, most of us, if the natural light is great, cool. But if it's not, you better know how to use some strobes. Yeah, how to reproduce it and fake that yeah, natural light. Exactly. So what are you doing next? Are you starting to rent your own bigger equipment and asking for more budget <laughs> to shoot these type things with the cabinetry company? No, I was so silly. Before Doug, the, the photographer, came along, I was using hot lights. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're doing like nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. I was pretty good in Photoshop, so I was able to sort of, you know, muddle my way through it well mm -hmm. enough. Um, by that point, I wanted to leave the cabinetry company and, and strike out on my own. I felt like, I think I can do this, but I definitely don't know enough about strobes. So I went online and Googled lighting for interiors, photography, something like that. Yeah. And just happened to stumble upon one of Mike Kelly's posts from F-Stoppers where art meets architecture. I'm like, okay. oh my God, like for 300 bucks, I can learn how to do this. This is yeah, great. To steal. Yeah. And um, this was at the beginning of him doing this. And it's kind of cool. I felt like I've, I've seen him grow so much and I feel like I've grown with him. He's like way, way astronomically, way beyond me still. But I kind of, I kind of jumped on from the very beginning of mm. this whole trend of tutorials. Before him, um, there was also Scott Hargis. He did a tutorial called Lighting for Real Estate, which I highly, highly, highly recommend. Okay. Even though it's for real estate, the principles absolutely translate to architectural and interiors photography. It's just mm -hmm. you're using stronger lights. What was the big jump? Was it a gradual transition to going on your own? Or were you just oh, one day like, this is it, I'm jumping off the freelance cliff? Well, yeah, I, I did kind of jump off thanks to having taken over the photography for the cabinet company. Mm -hmm. I at least had a little decent portfolio under my belt at that point. I was very fortunate that way. You, you have to have some kind of portfolio. Yeah, nobody's going to let you do anything if you can't show it. Exactly. So I was fortunate in that regard. And when I did go into these homes to shoot nice kitchens, if the rest of the home happened to also be pretty... I ask the homeowner and usually they're like really flattered and you butter them up a little bit like, oh, this is so pretty. I would love to have this for my portfolio. Can I please shoot your living room too? And they're like, oh, sure. Were you telling the cabinet company that you were shooting no. extra stuff on that? Or were you just like in the background like, oh, the show's done. Everybody <laughs> go home. I'm just going to finish wrapping up here and then quickly... I, I was on my own on these shoots. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as long as I got the job done for them, it's not like I was charging by the hour. I no. was charging for the shoot. So once I got my work done for them, it really wasn't their concern. It yeah. wasn't hurting anyone. That is such a great idea. Yeah. You know, so unfortunately for most budding photographers, they don't have that advantage. I understand sure. that for them, a great way to start. It's going to probably be real estate. Or spending some money and go renting yourself a really cute Airbnb or something mm. like that, you know, a pretty location and the water view and blah, blah, blah. You, you got to be a little bit savvy. I love the Airbnb idea, though. I mean, that sounds like vacation and shooting at the same time. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, you pour yourself a little Mai Tai and start shooting. <laughs> <laughs> it's for sure. work. It's a work expense. Yeah. <laughs> What was it like finding your first client? 
Well, you know, having come from a cabinetry company, I naively thought, oh, I can just shoot cabinets for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. so I was trying to reach out to local, other local cabinet companies and showrooms and no, no bites whatsoever. That's that's not where it is. You're not going to make a Was that just there. because they all had their own internal marketing and just somebody who was doing it on the fly for them as well? Not, not really. They just, they don't even really need to market. For them, word of mouth gets them plenty of business. Mm. I did reach out to one designer early on through House, And at the time, she was doing the similar thing where there was a photographer that bartered for a kitchen. Mm -hmm. So she's like, we're going to be all set for a while, but thanks. Um, Well, eventually he worked off that kitchen and she wanted, I think, better photography at, at that point. And she remembered me. And it was like three years later, she came back and she's like, you know, you messaged me years ago and I I think we're ready to talk. And she's still one of my best clients. Wow. Just a little tip while we're kind of on the topic. It takes time. You need to start networking and throwing out those feelers and making contacts. You need to start sooner than later because sometimes they take a long time to finally, finally come through for you. So start right away. So I started like reaching out to certain designers and I was thinking so small. When you're talking designers, you're talking interior designers right now. Interior designers. I was thinking very, very small at the mm-hmm. time. And in my city, and I'm, I'm not saying interior designers are small. There are big ones out there. And some of them really do appreciate good photographers and they're willing to pay the money for it. Mm-hmm. But in my town, I was from small town, USA. I'm from Buffalo, New York. And unfortunately, now I know I'm going to sound like a snob right now. But remember, my background is interior design. So mm-hmm. I feel like I have the freedom to critique here. Buffalo is definitely a little stunted in its design sensibility. There are a few good designers and a few good firms out there. And once in a while, you'll, there are some good projects. Mm-hmm. But overall, the health of the design industry there is not great. Yeah. So I was definitely not looking in the right place. You got to you got to kind of think bigger. And I wasn't I wasn't at all reaching out to architects. Having been an interior designer with my training, I thought of architects as being up here and designers are are just these simple little people down here working. Yeah. Not doing the real architecture, just the the play architecture stuff. Exactly. So I was like, I was a little intimidated and I wasn't even thinking about architectural photography, but I had enough of a portfolio going on, on house. And I think I had a website at that point. And then an architect reached out to me. Oh my God. I was like immediately like sweating bullets and so intimidated. Yeah. But that was my foot in the door and they happened to have a couple of really cool projects. And, and when an architect reached out, I'm like, Oh my God, you want me to shoot the outside of a building? I don't even know how to do that. So where did this architecture person find you? Was this through your pictures that were on house? It was either that or maybe LinkedIn. So the architect reaches out to you and you have this moment of like, oh shit. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Was imposter syndrome a big deal with that? A little, but I firmly believe that never let them see a sweat (laughs) and fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I'm pretty confident that whatever comes my way, I think I got it. Yeah. But between that and then a firm called Populous got in touch and they specialize in sports arenas and and stadiums and all that. Mm -hmm. And they wanted me to shoot uh, the new era field where the Buffalo Bills play and talk about intimidating. They wanted me to shoot during a game so that they could see the stands filled with people. And I had never even (laughs) been to a game. Like, I'm such a bad Buffalonian. I'm so sorry. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh, my God, the thunder of the crowd was like, holy crap. 
and talk about trying to shoot around people. It's okay to have people in the shots, but you want them to be well-placed for the sake of composition. Right. Right. Talk about things being completely out of your control. Oh, and my favorite is all the drunk people looking at me with a camera and saying, hey, take my picture. And I'm like, oh, dude, if you spill beer on my camera, I am (laughs) going to, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Like, talk about things being out of your control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was this one of your first times shooting with people in interiors? Maybe before that, I did a cool project for that very first architect. I did one of my best projects to date, The House in the Woods. I recommended, let's get a model. I kind of knew. how. So one person that you can kind of direct. Yeah, they're a piece of the interior design at that point. Exactly. So that was my only experience working. And then, uh, yeah, this was totally outside my (laughs) previous experience. Yeah, it sounds very chaotic. How'd it turn out? I think I did pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, thank God for the magic of compositing and Photoshop. In a situation like that, you just have to take tons of frames. Mm-hmm. You have to just sort of pick and choose and put the best of all of it together with your layers. So the guy can't be looking at you with a beer every frame. Oh, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're we're kind of like a theatrical spectacle, photographers are. My, mm-hmm. my favorite question, hey, you taking pictures? It's like, I have a camera. <laughs> what no, else do you think I'm out. doing right now? It's that. And then you always get the person who's standing directly in front of you, staring at you like, like you're the show. Dude, I need to take a picture right now of people looking natural. And you're staring right at me. It's <laughs> like, please move. I would imagine you've gotten very good at adding sunglasses to people's faces to hide their eyes and <sighs> rotating their heads. I've never quite done that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> with this new, this new, um, what is it, the machine learning filters on Photoshop? Yeah. Where oh, yeah. I haven't, I haven't played with them yet, but the demo where they're like, and you can rotate their head, and I was like, oh, I know. What? That's like Exorcist level. It's like, yeah. whoa, spin yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. I'm curious if it's like, oh, that was a cool toy, or if it's like game changing. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Your freelance career at this point is, and you've you've gone freelance, right? It's a, mm-hmm. yep. from the business end of freelance, how are you handling that? Yeah, I went through my accountant um, who advised me how to set things up business-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, what works best is being a sole proprietor. And if you go to the bank and set up a business account, they can help advise you a little bit too. You have to go on a government website and get an EIN number it is not difficult at all. So yeah. don't be intimidated by that at all. Just get yourself a decent accountant and I'm sure they can advise you. Yeah, I usually like to think that like whatever your accountant tells you, eh, yeah. Just, yeah, I trust them. Just do, Yeah, just trust them. I am so not savvy and I don't <laughs> want to waste my brain power on that because yeah. I'm trying to hone my skills as a photographer. So yeah, I just trust him. Okay, so... You've started shooting exteriors at this point. Are exteriors much more intimidating than interiors? No, now they're like easier. Sometimes they're a little bit of a pain again with things being out of your control. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the construction vehicle rolls up right in front of the front door. (laughs) But as long as you're shooting at the right time of day, you're getting the right angle of the light on the building. I don't think it's difficult to shoot an exterior at all. Um, The sun is doing all the work for you. That's true. (laughs) In that case. So, yeah. It sounds like you're doing mostly natural light type stuff as opposed to, you know, renting a giant china ball and hanging it from a crane. You know, some people do um, supplement some light onto the exteriors. Mm -hmm. But when you 
look at the top world-class photographers, I don't think they're doing that very much. <laughs> yeah, they're letting the building speak for itself. What they might do is take multiple frames as the light changes for for like an hour or so, and then composite the best of all the bits together. But again, letting the light do all the work. Can you talk a little bit about making a large building feel like an intentional, purposeful piece of art as opposed to a snapshot of a building that somebody took walking down the street? That's a good question. Well, a lot of it is going to have to do with your composition. There is the rule of thirds, which people are going to argue it's not a rule. Well, you're right. It's not a rule, but there are (laughs) certain reasons why it just happens to work very well. If you happen to be fortunate enough to be shooting on a partly cloudy day where the clouds are moving at a good speed and the direct light is sort of, it's going from direct hard light to diffused light, that's kind of a cool thing. You can composite the shot that way. So take a shot when the, the sunlight is over everything, but then also when it's diffused and take those two shots and just composite in when the sunlight is hitting your hero building. Mm-hmm. That makes it stand out amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's like nature's HDR lighting. So yeah. yeah, you find little tricks like that. That's a really cool trick. Yeah. So what do you prefer? I think because it's so much easier. <laughs> I think I think I like exteriors at this point. And I think there's two reasons for that. These days, I prefer architecture to interior design. And I, I had it. It's so funny. Are you ready for a little anecdote? I'm ready. I was at the local beach bar here, hanging out, mm-hmm. listening to music, and just happened to meet a guy that is an architect from Portugal. And he was here possibly doing a job in the States. We had a great conversation because there are definitely different styles when you look at the U.S. versus Europe. Mm-hmm. Styles in photography and styles in design. So he he had a really interesting point. So he said with interior design, it's really about designers selling stuff, so decor it's furniture. And those things tend to be fleeting, right? Because furniture eventually wears out. Carpet eventually wears out and you have to replace it all. But the architecture, that's the bones of the building. That's never going to change. There's Mm. something that it's going to become classic. It tends to be more sculptural. So I, I tend to prefer architecture for that reason. That's really beautiful. With it being sculptural, then you're really looking for kind of natural flow lines and how it works within the environment to capture, to kind of show off Mm -hmm. those bones. Mm -hmm. But in interiors, does the flow and the lines of the room matter as much as the tchotchkes that are in the room? Sure. Absolutely. Um, They matter and your composition matters. But then, like you said, the other element that now you have to consider is the tchotchkes and, and styling it correctly. So the interiors become much more about style which tends to be more of a ephemeral, trendy, here today, gone, next decade kind of thing. Is there a specific type of design that you prefer when shooting interiors? I love contemporary design. Mm -hmm. Love it inside and out. Probably because I myself lead a very Spartan existence. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love simplicity. I don't like clutter. I think also because of the philosophy that If I can get into a little bit of design history here. Sure, sure. Form follows function Mm -hmm. was a, you know, a philosophy that informed the early beginnings of modernism, which actually was the craftsman period. It was actually influenced by the Shinto philosophy that beauty should be found in the inherent nature of the materials. 
not with ostentatious decor and fluff. The beauty is, again, in the bones of the structure and the materials. So that sort of started the whole arts and crafts thing. Um, and eventually modernism came around where, again, it was just about the simplicity and beauty of simple forms. And so that, you know, has gone through many incarnations and still exists today, of course, with contemporary and modern design. I love what they're all about, especially when they're vernacular and they take their cues from their environment. So rather, and, and Frank Lloyd Wright was big about that too, mm -hmm. rather than sticking out like a sore thumb in the environment, it is part of the environment and it becomes an extension of the environment. Yeah. That's what I love about vernacular design as well. Can you tell me about the cozy factor in interior shooting? How do you make an interior feel inviting? If I can add a question to that, the first question is, should you? That's where, yeah, being familiar with style is going to inform how you shoot and what mood you create. So first of all, should you make it warm and inviting? Mm -hmm. If you want to, then, you know, having the warm incandescent interior lights on with that little bit of warm glow how you style it. Do you have fire in the fireplace? Do you have this little throw blanket that's, you know, all nice and you just want to sit there and cozy up in a little blankie? Do you wait till the sunlight is streaming into the space and maybe it's hitting um, like the orangish brown wood floor, mm. which is now warming. It's just throwing all this warm, orangey, warm glow onto the bright. Maybe it's a plain white ceiling, but now it's orange because that sunlight, that warm light is hitting all of that and it's just creating this warm hue into the whole space. All those things. If students are going and renting Airbnbs and shooting interiors as a practice way of building up their portfolio, how can they make that small Airbnb feel much bigger than it is without using the widest fisheye lens possible and having those, mm. you know, apartment tour style photos? They don't need to feel bigger. Um, bigger isn't necessarily better when it comes to space. And when you look at a lot of like editorial design magazines, you know, they have the overall shots, sure, but then they break it down into beautiful little vignettes where you're you're getting to really savor the details of the interiors, like the style of the furniture or mm -hmm. that pretty print on the wall or the flower arrangement, whatever. So practice your vignettes. You're telling a story of the space as opposed to capturing it in a single photo. Exactly. Yep. Start with the overall. So you're covering all your bases. Two-point perspectives that are wide where you're stuffed into the corner. Yeah, they do feel a little bit real estate-ish. Mm -hmm. So if you crop down to something more like a 35 millimeter or a 50 millimeter, then they start to feel a little bit more architectural and interiors. Crop in and show off the detail. I mean, yeah. look at a lot of the stuff that you see in design magazines. They feel a little bit more like 35 millimeter and 50 millimeter. Some beautiful, like, one-point vignettes. It's almost like portrait photography of stuff. It is, actually. And yeah. that's where you you can do some really beautiful, simple, and easy light. <laughs> or it is like a portrait where you have a key light here. Mm -hmm. One beautiful little bit of Rembrandt light, maybe. Mm -hmm. If you want to do something dramatic and moody, maybe just that one light where it's like Rembrandt light. Yeah. But it's it's easy to do those little vignettes. So have fun with them. Can I ask you about the equipment that you're using? What are you shooting with? 
right now my go-to camera is the Sony A7R4, which I love. That is one beefy camera. It's 60 megapixels. And I am not a megapixels knob. But what I like about it, especially because I'm working with sometimes interiors and designers, I can crop way down and deliver a little bit of a different feel with a cropped image or get a little bit closer and see a little bit more detail so that the designer can see the stuff that's important to them, like the mm-hmm. texture of the material. But the dynamic range with the Sonys are fantastic. Their sensors are made by the same people as the Phase 1 people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is a pretty darn good little camera, but I use Canon glass tilt shifts. You can get the adapters. So that combination is just perfect for me. But, you know, you, I don't really get snobby about, I don't get techy and geeky when it comes to gear. You know, people can really geek out on that stuff. But the reality is, if you are a good photographer, you can shoot fantastic things with an iPhone. If you hand like the very, very top of the line best paintbrush to a geek, he's not going to make great art with that. Mm -hmm. But if you hand a stick to an artist, Mm. they're going to make art with a stick. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, that's such a good analogy. So the tool doesn't matter that much. You know, the longer you do it, sometimes you do sort of outgrow your gear and you and you do want top of the line stuff. But if you're a good photographer, it doesn't matter that much. You you Mm -hmm. get into the better stuff just because it makes your life a little easier. Yeah. So it sounds like you are owning your equipment versus renting your equipment. Yeah. Can you tell me about your post process? I, I probably never do it the same way twice. I, mm. I, you know, some people they are just like machines, man. They have a they have a recipe, and um, you know, I'm I'm so kind of like more right brained and all over the place. And um, in general, what I like to try to stick to is while I am handling the raw photos in Capture One or Lightroom or whatever, what I first try to do is figure out which are the shots that I want to use to composite together. And I say, okay, over on this side, this is a correct white balance. Um, But in the next shot, this is the part that I want to use and that white balance doesn't match. So I want that white balance to match the other side of the room Mm -hmm. from this other shot. So I go through and I try to think ahead, I'm going to be putting this together here and this together here and make sure that the color consistency is there so that when I put it together later that they start to blend very well. So that's the first thing I want to do in raw. You can also play around a little bit with your exposure, your brightness, um, your dynamic range, your highlights, your shadows. If you want to take care of your chromatic aberration, it's as simple as a click of a button. Like seriously, there's no yeah. excuse to not fix chromatic <laughs> aberration. Sometimes if there are people in the interior, you are not shooting with the people at the same time, that sometimes you're bringing in the people afterwards. Yeah. You have more control, plus the client might say later, which this has happened, (sighs) oh, you know, we'd rather see the space without people. So my God, do not flatten your layers. (laughs) (laughs) Do not do that. So yeah, I just want to have that fail safe of just the space clean by itself, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just in case. Yeah. Um, have you ever had the situation where somebody accidentally bumps your tripod while you're oh, bringing people in? Don't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> Means me to even think about it. Is that just basically a nightmare of lining up things? It depends on how bad the nudge is. Mm-hmm. If it's a tiny little thing, it might be okay. Sometimes Photoshop is good at fixing that for you. So I do it so like second nature. I don't even know where it is. 
I think it's under scripts, load files into a stack. You hit mm-hmm. that. Then you make sure you hit that little button that says try to align these. And it does a really good, for the most part. So if it's a tiny little nudge, it might be okay. If it's a big nudge, yeah, you pretty much have to start over. Oh, <laughs> no. start over. But, oh. <laughs> and I, and I, because I instruct them, you have to educate them and instruct them. Yeah. And, and they know if they nudged it. And because you'll hear, if they nudged it, you're going to hear them go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like the sound of death. And I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> and, and they know. So, yeah. no, you don't leave, you don't leave that shoot. Uh, if there's been a big nudge, don't, don't leave. Right, right. Yeah. You got to start over. Yeah. yeah. When you were first getting your architectural clients, how did that transition into being published in magazines and things like that? How does that work? You know, I am not the best person to speak to about that, unfortunately. When it has happened, it's been kind of by accident. <laughs> Some, <laughs> it wasn't through my efforts. It yeah. wasn't at all through my efforts. Just whoever you're just, working with were like, by the way, we published this. Here you go. They found it or whatever. And Yeah. Yeah. Is that a concern of yours at all? Like, um, I have a friend who enjoys being a cinematographer because he really enjoys the process of shooting. But once it's done, he's like, cool, my experience is done. I'm more than happy to be like, you do what you want with it. Like, here's the final image. Have fun with it. That is kind of me. And I don't know if it should be because sometimes I get the question when I'm talking to maybe a new potential client, well, have you been published? It's kind of like, um, and they get the same question from their clients that they want to do design work for. Mm-hmm. It's It's like this uh, stature thing, and it has this sense of it gives you credibility. But my question is, and I'm a little bit of a maverick here, and I'm probably going to upset the publications and editors here. My question is, does it matter? Because when I ask designers, and I'm talking about decent sized firms here, Mm -hmm. when I ask them how much of your work comes from as a result of you were published, and the answer is none to not many. So if that's the case, then why are we jumping through hoops to try to get published? Because trying to be published is it's very difficult. Sometimes it's pay to play and that's, mm. that's not fair. And you pitch your, your ideas to one editor at a time and they take and they admit it takes us forever to get back to you. But you have to when we ask you a question, we want you to get back to us in a half a day. Yeah. So we we pitched this job to you and now I have to wait around for months to get a yay or a nay before I can move on to another publication and see if they might be interested in it. So by the time you do all that, the job could be years old. And it's yeah. like, holy crap, talk about taking the wind out of your sails and your momentum. Why why are we doing this? That's yeah. my question. Yeah. Why are we doing this? There's so many more outputs and avenues to <laughs> get work out there. That's it. Self-publication. Thank you, Interweb. We live in an age <laughs> and SEO and backlink. We live in an age of self-publication. So mm-hmm. stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I would yeah, say, yeah. Um, I feel like part of that is you started a new Instagram channel. For whatever reason, there are way more male architectural photographers than female. And the ones that are at the top of mind, even for me, are male. Why mm-hmm. is that? Maybe because they're the ones that aren't shy about self-publishing and getting their name out there. Mm-hmm. And they're not shy about presenting themselves as authorities yeah. and experts. They are the ones that have created all those tutorials. So, of course, the only ones that I know are men. 
Right. And I'm sure that they are not intentionally being exclusive and no one is intentionally being oppressive. And even when I look at really big architectural firms that I absolutely love, but when I look through the, the photographers that they hire, they're all men. Yeah. Like why? We have really great female photographers. So I started a new feed on Instagram and it is women underscore arc underscore photographers. And I cannot believe the support that we're getting and the talent that I'm finding in the world-class, fantastic women shooters. And they deserve a little time in the sun. They absolutely deserve it. For whatever reason, I'm trying to figure out why is this? Why is it that the women photographers are not as well known or used? Mm -hmm. And I suspect part of it is also because it is no secret that in architecture, it definitely was a good old boys club. Mm -hmm. Back way back in the day, you got egomaniacs and his contemporaries like Frank Lloyd Wright. It's all these alpha men, Mm -hmm. not very many women architects. So women architects are also kind of fighting the same battle. And I found that they have these little groups where they are celebrating being a woman and an architect. And we can do this with the boys too. It was actually thanks to them that I started this feed. I think we deserve a little recognition and a little time in the sun. (laughs) Well, I think it's a really cool feed. Thank Uh, you. Let me start to wrap this up by asking you a few lightning round questions. Shoot. What is something that if you never had to photograph again, you'd be more than happy to never shoot that again? Uh, How about a public school bathroom? (laughs) A public school bathroom? Is there an extensive market for public school interior photography? You know what? Some of my architecture clients, they they shoot institutions like schools or hospitals and whatever. And it's like, I don't know why, but they want the bathroom shot of (laughs) an elementary school. But um, like, yeah. I can't imagine there's too much variation in elementary school bathroom design. You know, it's a glamorous job sometimes. (laughs) You know, if they want to pay me to shoot a school bathroom, fine, I'll shoot a school bathroom and I'll do the very best job that I can and make it look as good as I can. But it's not my favorite. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's talk about the flip side of that coin. Um, what right. is something that you have not shot yet that you would love to shoot? Oh, man. Well, I told you my very favorite is contemporary modern design. So mm-hmm. I want to get more into um, high-end contemporary residential design. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where my heart is. And I think it's probably what inspired me to get into interior design in the first place. I love the idea of home, um, how that architecture is tailored and personalized to very specific people. I love the personal touch of residential design. So that's the direction I'm trying to go. Is there a Mecca of this type of design work? Wow. Uh, the Meccas, I think, in in the U.S. probably would be L.A., New York, Miami, which mm. I am going to hopefully be doing some stuff in pretty soon in, mm-hmm. in that vein, I hope. Um, small town America, definitely you're not going to find it there. A lot of prefab um, there. But yeah, I'm not going to find it there. Um, South America, there's some great stuff going on. Um, definitely Europe, obviously. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this one final question then. What is something that you wish you knew when you started that you know now having Mm. been doing this for a while? I went into it thinking that this was going to be a part-time job. (laughs) (laughs) 
because I also, you know, did a lot of volunteer work and I'm thinking, oh, well, this is going to, you know, make that easier. I can have one foot here, one foot there and whatever. But there's a proverb, a very wise proverb that says you can't serve two masters. Mm. It's more time consuming than you think. It's actually more than a full time job. Not just the actual working part of it, but all the back end stuff. You know, your SEO, your your social media, blah, blah, blah. My God, you know, social media is just a black hole of a time sucker. Yeah, that's uh, the full-time night business. It is. A couple of photographers I talked to, women architectural photographers, I was asking, why is it that we don't toot our own horn more and promote ourselves better? And why don't we? Why don't we? And a couple of them said, we have mom guilt issues. Oh, I don't have that problem. I never had kids. Yeah. I have a cat. I actually do feel guilty about leaving my cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't imagine what it's like to be a mom and being divided like that. So yeah. be aware if you want to have sort of the traditional American life and be married and have a family and have kids and you're a woman and you are the main caretaker and you want to be an architectural photographer, it's tough. It's yeah. just tough. So be careful. It, it is more time consuming than you think. Well, thank you for taking some of the time to uh, talk with me about all this. It's been illuminating. Oh, thank you. I'm very flattered that you asked me, and I I hope the kids out there get something out of it. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they will. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.